This is day three of this January 2020 Rohatsu seven day session. I guess Rohatsu seven days, uh, redundant. Any, any true Rohatsu session would be a seven day session. We'll return to, uh, Da Wei, the, uh, 12th century Chinese master. And that we'll be reading again from Swampland Flowers, the letters and lectures of Zen Master Da Wei. There's this funny thing about uh, pronunciation of Chinese uh, words and names. Uh, The way it's phonetically written in English uh, doesn't match how you pronounce it. So his name is spelled T-A-H-U-I. And I'm told it's pronounced Da Wei. <coughs> I mispronounced it for about 30 years in Taisho. <clears throat> Picking up in the middle of a, of a letter uh, to a Tung Zhu Li. When people engaged in meditation read the sutras, and the stories of the circumstances in which the ancient worthies entered the path, so the Enlightenment accounts, they should just empty their minds. Don't look for the original marvel or seek enlightenment in sounds, names, and verbal meanings. (coughs) If you take this attitude, you're obstructing your own correct knowledge and perception, and you'll never have an entry. So, uh, yeah, the Enlightenment accounts, stories, sutras. Um, don't don't interpret them. Don't try to figure them out. Uh, don't imagine that it's in the sounds uh, that uh, may have uh, that figure into the the koan or the story or the names or anything there the or the literal meanings of the words. If you do this, you're going to uh, obstruct yourself. And I would say the same for Teisho. <clears throat> uh, the last thing I want is uh, someone uh, after Teisho chewing over something they remember me saying in Teisho or or even during Teisho, uh, going off on a tangent and thinking about uh, what I'm saying. It's the, the best thing a, any Teisho could do is just empty your mind and leave you uh, ready to just go back to the, the practice you've been working on. And he quotes Vimalakirti, the great uh, lay, enlightened layman, Vimalakirti said that the truth goes beyond eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, and intellect, or mind. This will sound familiar also from the Prajnaparamita, no eye, ear, no eye, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind. It 
If you want to penetrate this truth, first you must clear out the gates of the six senses, leaving them without the slightest affliction. What do I mean by affliction? It means to be turned around by form, sound, scent, taste, touch, and phenomena, and not detaching from them. It's seeking knowledge and looking for understanding in the words and phrases of the sutras and the ancient worthies. That's what he's saying we don't want to do. If you can avoid giving rise to a second thought about the sutras or the the enlightenment accounts of the ancient worthies, realize directly what they go back to. And then there will be nothing in your own realm or in the realm of others that is not according to your will, nothing of which you are not the master. So if you want to um, understand, really understand, the the koans, the stories, enlightenment accounts, uh, realize what they go back to, realize the mind behind, the source of these. Realize your own original mind. Don't get caught in the words. It's the the, the point in in uh, Zen Zen practice. The the hallmark of the Zen school of Buddhism for centuries. It's a teaching beyond words. In the case of the koans, to grasp the the state of mind behind the various uh, characters in the koan as whatever they're saying, what's behind it? Going back to... uh, this phrase from Vimalakirti and from the Prajnaparamita, uh, that the truth is beyond eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, intellect. Uh, this is even something that we we hear or read in the, the Gospel of St. Thomas, where Jesus said, I shall give you what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no hand has touched, what has not arisen in the human heart. Beyond the senses, but not apart from them, not rejecting the senses and their functioning, just not getting caught in them. Caught means to linger in the sound or the sight or the others, the smell, the feeling, the taste, the thought. Thought is the is considered the sixth sense uh, on top of the other five ordinary senses. It's not that there's anything wrong with thoughts just as there's nothing wrong with sounds and sights and so forth, it's when we attach to them, when we can't leave them, when we're stuck in them, 
which means thoughts about them, the original thought that may arise in the mind is harmless. It's The question is, how long do we linger there and uh, making something of the thought? One master said, delusion is thoughts feeding on thoughts. Then he quotes uh, another earlier Chan master, Panchan. It's like hurling a sword at the sky. No talk of whether it reaches or not. This is excellent advice, especially for Sishin. Just the effort. Don't concern yourself with anything more than that. It's the pure effort for its own sake, not in order to get somewhere. Continues, an ancient worthy said, just perceive nothingness in the midst of things. Yeah, that's the trick. Seeing things as no thing. And then this same Master said, when seeing form or hearing sound, don't be blind and deaf. Again, it means not getting sucked into the, the sights, the figures, the shapes, and or the, the sounds, not, not clinging to them. Dawei says, this man knew the truth that the contrivances of the worldly are empty, false, and unreal. When he was faced with situations and circumstances as they suddenly popped up in front of him, he didn't go along with them, so they were taken under control by him. I think of... uh, Zhao Zhou's words, um, most people are used by the 24 hours. I myself use the 24 hours. I think of uh, people during Sashin who walk outdoors and how they are incurring uh, an extra risk of the mind wandering especially if they're looking around, seeing the beauty, the marvels of this natural place, 
trees, the skies, the birds, the other wildlife, the pond, how how easy it is to get caught, uh, meaning just caught in thoughts about them. It's a, it's a very fine line between gazing about and seeing things outdoors and having thoughts about them. It's very hard not to have thoughts about them. And then once you have thoughts about them, then those lead to other thoughts. And pretty soon, you see very easily whisked away into a train of thoughts. People who who feel, I can't resist it. What's wrong with nature? It's beautiful. It's it's inspiring. Yes. And when you're not in Sashin, you can have that same perception and wonder of it all. For this one week, to risk going into thoughts about the world of phenomena is to possibly risk passing up an extraordinary opportunity. He continues, In general, since time without beginning, you have overdone the familiar and left undone the unfamiliar. Even though you may see through it all for a moment, in the end your power in the path cannot overcome the power of your karma. Now, the translator uses the word instead of... Well, he does actually say karma, yeah, in parentheses. He uses the word acts. Uh, the power, the, Your power in the path cannot overcome the power of your acts. And then he puts in parentheses karma. That's the simplest, shortest definition of, of karma is action. Action and reaction, the all-important reaction. But I'm just going to dispense with, as he goes on here, I'm just going to dispense with the word acts and make it karma. And what is the power of karma? It is what's familiar and stale. And what is the power of the path? It is what's unfamiliar and fresh. It's an interesting way of describing this, making this distinction. So the power of karma is what's familiar and stale. It's the path of least resistance. It's, that is, the, the way the mind, the way we might let the mind uh, go off and react to circumstances, to people. It's the power of least resistance because it's what we've done habitually. And that is its staleness. It's familiar. It's the known. It's the habitual. What is the power of the path? It is what's unfamiliar and fresh. And the freshest, freshest of all is the the realm of no mind, no thoughts.
the Buddha once, uh, in a text, uh, he talked about uh, three general tendencies that people have that one person may tend to uh, just habitually, in her mind, uh, lapse into thoughts of the past. Another person, it might be, uh, they might default to thoughts of the future, worries, planning, rehearsing. And the third type is people who are not so much uh, default into the past or into the future, but just lapse into fantasies. My uh, tendency in in Sashin in those early years was definitely to lapse into the past and to chew my way through memories. Uh, And I was uh, amazed when I came out of Sashin once and uh, the... Uh, the head monitor actually said, he, he said, hopefully using hyperbole, he said, I spent the whole seven days trying to figure out what kind of car I'm going to buy. <laughs> because I just had, had never been troubled by uh, thoughts of the future, worries or concerns. It was all getting, trying to get unglued from my regrets mostly. Of the past and attachments, luscious memories. And then he says, basically, there, there is no fixed measure to the power of the path and the power of karma. Just notice whether or not you are befuddled in the conduct of your daily activities. When you becloud the power of the path, then it is overcome by the power of karma. When the power of karma prevails, then you get stuck wherever you go. When you get stuck wherever you go, then you become attached everywhere. When you get attached everywhere, you consider misery to be happiness. Consider misery to be happiness. Uh, For example, uh, being in a state of craving, uh, there is actually some kind of perverse pleasure that we can get in uh, being captive to our cravings. You see evidence of this. I've seen commercials where their their pitch with uh, whatever it is, chips, corn chips, is you can't stop. Okay, that's for me. It's a state of, of uh, agitation. I guess the point is, it's, they're just so delicious. But uh, but just consider that state of of uh, being unsatiated with appetite.
This is worth repeating. When you becloud the power of the path, then it is overcome by the power of karma. When the power of karma prevails, then you get stuck wherever you go. Reminds me of a phrase Roshi Kaplow would often uh, cite. It was uh, by some master, Zen master. Let me see if I can dredge it up. When thoughts of the way are strong, worldly thoughts are weak. When worldly thoughts are strong, thoughts of the way are weak. You can't have it both ways. There's only so much bandwidth. Where do we want to spend our time focused? What do we want to spend our time focused on? Early thoughts and concerns and pleasures or that which is beyond such things. The practice. This is a decision that we're faced with thousands of times a day in Sashin. Finally, uh, in this final paragraph of this letter, if you want to cut directly through, don't entertain doubts about Buddhas and patriarchs or doubts about birth and death. Just always let go and make your heart empty and open. When things come up, then deal with them according to the occasion. Be like the stillness of water, like the clarity of a mirror, so that whether good or bad, beautiful or ugly approach, you don't make the slightest move to avoid them or reject them. Then you will truly know that the mindless world of the, the no-minded world of spontaneity is inconceivable. Another letter. It's titled Letter at the Request of Wei Chang. Do you want to know what truth is? It's true thusness, Buddha nature, enlightenment, nirvana. Do you want to know what the disease is? It's arbitrary conception, inverted thoughts and perceptions, greed, hatred erroneous views. Even so, apart from the inversions of arbitrary conceptions, there is no truly so 
Buddha nature. I don't get that. There's no truly so Buddha nature. Apart from greed, hatred, and erroneous views, there is no enlightenment or nirvana. In other words, don't conceptualize these two realms as separate. That itself is an erroneous view. Even our thoughts are not separate from Buddha nature. Nothing is. Nothing is outside Buddha nature. It's illimitable. Thinking itself is the function functioning of our true nature. But we still need to choose as to where we're directing our attention to our thoughts or to what is beyond them or our practice. Otherwise, we won't realize this Buddha nature. He says, but say, is it right to separate them or is it right not to separate them? If you separate them, keep one and get rid of the other, I don't know how you do that, then the disease becomes even worse. If you do not separate them, this is truly presuming on the Buddha nature and confusing true thusness. In the end, how can one expound a principle whereby the disease is removed but the truth is not removed? Some folks hear such talk and immediately say, the truth itself is the disease. The disease itself is the truth. There is only verbal expressions, no real meaning at all. Go along with true thusness and then inverted arbitrary conceptions, greed, hatred, and delusion are all the truth. If you go along with error, then true suchness, Buddha nature, enlightenment, and nirvana are all disease. And that's the end of this presumed person. Then he himself comments, which such an, with such an understanding, don't say that you wear the patchwork robe. Don't say, don't call yourself a monk. You're not even fit to be a lecturer's servant. Why? You should know that on the level ground, the dead people are countless. Obviously, those who can pass through the forest of thorns are the true practitioners. It's another letter. Since we parted, by the way, always bear in mind that what he is saying in a letter to one person is something he may not want to say in a letter to another person. It's not that he's just expounding some abstract truth that would be transferable from one recipient to another. The truth, so-called truth, is always what emerges from one particular person between, in this case, the teacher and one student at that time. Even if this, even if Dawei were writing a letter to the same student, but at a different time, he might not s- express his teaching in this way. These are just snapshots of uh, his teaching to the, one particular person at one particular time. 
It's a basic principle of Zen teaching. There's no truth out there. It's, it's what, what emerges, what is called for uh, in any specific situation with a particular student at a particular time. Here he says, Since we parted, I don't know whether or not you can avoid being carried away by external objects in your daily activities as you respond to circumstances, whether or not you can put aside your heap of legal documents as you look through them, whether or not you can act freely when you meet with people, whether or not... This is a, this is a very highly civilized Chinese way of, 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 of asking, have you been able to do these things? But instead, he says, I don't know whether or not you can, and so forth. Whether you can free, whether or not you can act freely when you meet with people, whether or not you engage in vain thinking when you're, where it's peaceful and quiet, whether or not you are thoroughly investigating this matter without any distracted thoughts. It's all a way of saying this is what you want to strive to do. Can you put aside your heap of legal documents as you look through them? What does he mean by that? Putting them aside as you look as you look through them? In uh in a koan in the Mumonkan, uh, kicking over the water bottle, and there's a verse in which Mumon says, referring to uh, this uh, great presentation by Isan that uh, earned him the assignment to open a monastery, uh, Mumon says, referring to him, he said in his uh, in his great demonstration, he said. Throwing away the bamboo basket and the wooden ladle, he cuts through all complications. Isan uh, at that time, during that uh, demonstration, was the head cook of the uh, monastery. Throwing away the bamboo basket and the wooden ladle. And the student is asked how to, how to demonstrate that. He's urging the student to act freely when you meet with people. Don't engage in vain thinking when you're in a quiet place. Vain meaning, I would take that to mean just thoughts of self. Hardest thing in the world when you have nothing to do and you're not thinking in terms of I, me, or my. He goes on, thus old yellow face, he's referring to the Buddha, that's the Zen style of uh, putting, bringing these great masters down to our level uh, so we, they're more uh, relatable to us. Instead of saying uh, the Lord, Lord Buddha, he says old yellow face has said, when the mind does not vainly grasp at past things, 
does not long for things in the future and does not dwell on anything in the present, then you realize fully that the three times are all empty and still. Dawei comments, you shouldn't think about past events, whether good or bad, if you think that obstructs the path. You shouldn't consider future events. To consider them is crazy confusion. Present events are right in front of you. Whether they're pleasant or unpleasant, don't fix your mind on them. If you do fix your mind on them, if you get attached to them, it will disturb your heart. Just take everything in its time, responding according to circumstances, and you will naturally accord with this principle. Taking everything in its time means being fully present, being without thoughts that adhere to the mind so that one can fluidly move through whatever circumstances or conditions there are without getting snagged in thoughts. Unpleasant situations are easy to handle. Pleasant situations are hard to handle. Notice that he he inverts what conventional understanding is. For that which goes against one's will, it boils down to one word, patience. Settle down and reflect a moment, and in a little while it's gone. It's pleasant situations that truly give you no way to escape, like pairing magnet and iron Unconsciously, this and that come together in one place. Even inanimate objects are thus, how much the more so for those acting in ignorance with their whole beings making a living within it. In this world, if you have no wisdom, you will be dragged unknowing and unawares by that ignorance into a net. Once inside the net, Won't it be difficult to look for a way out? Uh, It's an interesting phrase here. Won't it be difficult to look for a way out when you're in this net? He's not even talking about finding a way out, but just looking for a way out. When When we're lost in ignorance, let's say especially someone who has never encountered the Dharma, has never heard of the possibility of uh, liberation from this worldly, uh, the wheel of life and death. How do you even look? How do you even search? There's no path open to you because you've never heard of it, never encountered it. This is why in Buddhism it's considered such an enormously uh, good good karma, good fortune to encounter this way. Now, once you've found the path, then you just follow it. You just persevere. Whether or not you have complete faith in the way, it will lead you out of suffering. If you just stay on it, 
It's the problem. Too many people don't stay on it. They lose heart. They lose faith. They're overcome by self-doubt and other doubts. And so they quit. And then, of course, the way can't help them. And then he quotes yet another uh, master. Having entered the world, leave the world completely. Or to use a phrase that may or may not be a Zen phrase, it could be one of the Christian mystics, to be in the world but not of the world. This is the same principle. Vimalakirti said, For those with the conceit of superiority falsely claiming attainment, the Buddha just says that detachment from greed Hatred and delusion is liberation. For those with no conceit of superiority, the Buddha says that the inherent nature of greed, hatred, and delusion is identical to liberation. So another fundamental principle of teaching, uh, you accommodate the teaching to the listener. We were just touching on that subject There's no one truth. Everything depends on the person, the persons. If you can avoid this fault so that in the midst of situations favorable or adverse, there is no aspect of origination or demise, so birth or death, only then can you get away from the name conceit of superiority. That is, again, applied to one who thinks he has attained but hasn't. Only this way can you be considered to have entered the world and be called a person of power. So just to paraphrase here, it's always harder to uh, comprehend uh, these kind of somewhat difficult passages when you're listening than when you're reading it. So there are two kinds of people he's talking about, those who have the conceit of saying that they've, they've come to awakening, have some attainment when they actually haven't. That, that, those are the ones you say, detachment from greed, anger, and delusion is liberation. But those who aren't afflicted with that kind of uh, arrogance, he says, then you could say that greed, anger, and delusion are no different from liberation. If you said that to the first person, then it could be terribly misused. 
And then he concludes, what I've been talking about thus far is all my personal life experience. Even right now, I practice just like this. I hope that you will take advantage of your physical strength and health and also enter this stable equilibrium. This uh, this final sentence of this letter has a poignancy now, as as we and as we get older, that it, it doesn't when we're younger. I hope that you will take advantage of your physical strength and health. Those are so often taken for granted when we're young, but then as we're aging, we see that we shouldn't take them for granted, that they will fail eventually. Of course, they will. We never know when we may succumb to illness, injury, accident, and, and what we do know is that as the decades pass, we suffer loss. With physical strength, memory, uh, flexibility. There's no better time than now to take advantage of, of one's own body-mind condition, and especially in these extremely favorable conditions, these very supportive conditions for reaching the depths of concentration. So that we can enter this equilibrium of no mind. We'll stop and recite the four vows. Without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain. All beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot Dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attend all beings without number. I vow to liberate 
endless blind beshams I'm out of uproot, Dharma gates beyond measure, I'm out to manage it. The great way of Buddha, I'm out to attain.